Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for Action 22 and our 22 Southern Colorado counties. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. So we have a pretty interesting show for you today. We're going to explore the question is about what is legislation through rulemaking and how is A, how is it happening and B, what's the impact of that? So we've first started to talk about this a couple weeks ago when we looked at a couple of things that we sort of tripped on that were happening um, when regulatory agencies are changing rules without really having the legislative process in um, place or as part of that rulemaking. And it's huge rules that widely affect, especially recovery, but businesses and organizations in Colorado. So you... How did you trip over this to begin with? Yeah, so we were looking into the transportation bill package that the state was putting up and just going through everything. And then I stumbled just on Facebook looking at stuff. I I stumbled across a post from Americans for Prosperity. And I think it had um, Kelly Sloan's article on it. And I started to read it. And going back to my federal time, you know, there used to be a thing that we would call legislating through rulemaking. And what that is, is where you have somebody's elected president, they appoint heads of agencies. So for instance, the IRS. So this is a non-elected person that runs an agency. From there, the agency sets rules out that it changes laws, you know, adds fees, fines, and just basically changes the law. And this is somebody that is not elected, that is appointed, that changes the laws that affect people every day. So going forward, um, Looking into the transportation thing, I I ran across this issue that CDPHE was implementing um, driving rules, you know, a a change in the rules, proposed changes. Um, Basically, what it boiled down to was charging people to go to work or charging companies if their employees go to work over if they're over a certain number of people. And with that, we figured it'd just be best to bring the the guys who wrote the article that I saw online. So with that. And that's what we mostly do. When somebody brings something or something comes to our attention, we go research before we act or or come out with anything like that. So that's how this happened. Yes, exactly. And again, going back, I think, you know, when you're changing rules and laws that this really has to go through the legislature. Um, We elect these people to change these things and not, be changed by somebody that's appointed, a political appointee, basically. And again, going to the guy that wrote the article I read, um, I guess we'll turn it over to Mr. Kelly Sloan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Well, so I think you're you're talking about the employee trip reduction plan. Yes. Uh, And that is probably the most egregious example of what you're talking about, about uh, legislating through rulemaking. So a little bit of background before we go into what the rule was. Back in 2019, the legislature passed a bill, uh, House Bill 1261. What that did is give the CDPHE and the AQ, uh, their Quality Control Commission, pretty much carte blanche to do whatever rule they wanted to, uh, to control greenhouse gases. Uh, basically, the, the way, it was an 11-page bill, but... Uh, Essentially, what it boiled down to was Section 1 was a legislative declaration saying greenhouse gases are bad. 
the rest of the sections were AQCC, you do something about this and let us know when it's done. So we're just now starting to see some of the, uh, some of the impacts of this. And one of those rules is the Employee Trip Reduction Act, which uh, you, you kind of mentioned at the beginning. So what that one does, uh, if you can believe it, it tells companies of about 100 people or 100 employees or more, first they have to register with the state as being a large employer. Then they have to assign uh, what I call a car czar or a transportation coordinator to then micromanage their employees' trips to and from work. The goal is to reduce the number of single vehicle commuter trips that their employees take going to or, to or from work. So it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is the state government telling you uh, whether you can try to take your car into work or, or not, telling you that uh, as opposed to that, we would rather you take the bus or the truck or Uber or walk or bike or magic carpet or, or what have you. Uh, and like you mentioned, this, this is not, this is never going to see the inside of the legislative committee room. This is never going to be debated on the floor of the house or the Senate. Uh, it's because the legislature keeps giving away its authority, uh, through bills like 1261 bills, like uh, 181, the oil and gas bill from the same year. And they have another bill this year, uh, Senate bill 200, which is essentially uh, 1261 on performance enhancing drugs, which gives these executive agencies even more of that lawmaking lawmaking authority. And the when I first saw it, what I thought was interesting, um, again, when I saw it on Facebook, you know, I went to the page that CDPHE had because they're going to take public comment on this and gather input. Um, a week later, I went to the same page and it was completely different. They took out a lot of the points that they had in with, uh, um, you know, charging a certain amount of money a day if somebody's driving their personal vehicle. Now, when you go to it, it says they have ideas that they're proposing and want to discuss it. And I thought that was kind of sneaky on their part. Well, the whole thing was kind of sneaky. I mean, the only uh, the only most of us know about it. I mean, look, you said you just kind of stumbled upon it from a Facebook page. At, uh, and you guys are in the know. I mean, you guys do this for a living. Uh, so do I. The only way I found out about it was uh, a friend of mine brought it to my attention uh, because, you know, one of her clients happened to stumble across it. Uh, and again, you know, I'm watching this stuff every day. So, you know, we uh, we started, you know, make, make some noise about it, but the press hadn't gone a hold of this. Uh, nobody really knew about this. I think they they really thought they were going to be able to just do this. And one day we would wake up and uh, we'd be having the state tell our employers how we can, how, how we can and can't get to work. And another scary thing, too, we brought it up in front of some of our legislators, you know, two weeks after we were aware of this and from both sides of the aisle, Democrat, right. Republican, it didn't matter. And none of them even knew what we were talking about when we brought it up. They were unaware of it as well. Yeah. And see, I mean, that, that's, part, that's part of the problem with you know, all these bills that they and there's there's other ones, too. We can go on uh, forever. Uh, I'm probably going to do a, a series of columns on, uh, you know, how much lawmaking authority, the legislature, just at the state level, we're not even talking about the federal level, but just here at the state, how much legislating authority our legislative branch is doling out to all these unelected uh, commissions and agencies, all, you know, all these executive branch uh, uh, deals. So uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the scariest things about it is these, you know, these legislators pass these bills that give all this authority and 
they don't really even know what the ultimate consequences are going to be. This is one of them. And we're going to see more. Yeah. And then, you know, the, an impact to this, and we have uh, Matthew on, and he's with Auto Dealers Association. Where does the Auto Dealers Association stand on this proposed rule? Well, you know, I, I think that we are very skeptical of it. Um, this is one of those things that we just don't think is a partisan issue. I think there's two really things to note here. One is just the sheer scope of the impact, right? So uh, if you've read Marshall Zellinger's article on this regulation, they quoted somebody from the state who said that we think we have 900,000 Coloradoans who will be impacted by this. And our goal is in the first year to take 25% of those, which is going to be about 230,000, and tell them that you need to stop what you're doing and you need to change your daily routine in a way that may add 20 or 30 or 40 minutes to your daily commute based on how you get to work every day. So I, I think the scale of the impact is going to be so magnificent that it's going to touch everybody, no matter what your political affiliation, no matter what your geographic station. There are certain jobs, especially uh, with your constituency, who may work on ranches, who may work on farms, who may work at meatpacking plants. You cannot do those jobs from home. So while they may like you to telecommute, it's, it's simply not possible for the nature of the work. And so you are going to be the ones impacted uh, by having to, uh, to force onto public transportation or figure out alternative ways to commute. Um, the other thing that I think is really scary about this that concerns us greatly uh, is, you know, what non-political people would just refer to as overreach. So before I was with the, the auto dealers, you pointed out we overlapped in Washington. And one of the principles that we had there was non-delegation there's certain things a government agency cannot do. They cannot increase their budget without the legislator's approval, and they cannot increase the number of employees that they require to implement a program. The public health department's doing both of that here. And by talking about how people get to work and who can work, we're trampling on the jurisdiction of both the Department of Transportation and the Department of Labor. So if this sort of activity isn't stopped right now, they're going to keep expanding their authority, keep expanding their budget, and they're going to leave the taxpayers holding the bag for all of that. And, and the legislature won't even have a say in it. And, you know, one, one thing that that I've read into it that, that's somewhat changed, you know, initially when this came out, it, I assumed it was for the whole state. Now they're saying it's for certain counties along the I-25 corridor. Um, but again, this opens the door, like, if your company is based out of Denver, but you do business in the San Luis Valley, does that fall into this area? Um, and once they get these counties involved with it, they pass this rule and it impacts them, do they expand it further into the state? And I think, you, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, give an inch, take a mile, where they may try it here and it expand it across the state. What are you guys hearing about who this will directly impact now versus what it could turn into, or is this going to be a statewide issue or is it just going to be these surrounding counties around the Denver area? Well, I'll hop in on that. I don't believe this is going to be limited to our nine County non-attainment zone. Uh, that generally regulates particle emission when here we're really talking about reducing carbon dioxide or greenhouse gas emission. When the Colorado department of public health makes a rule, it typically applies statewide. Uh, you know, another difference between probably the version you saw online and what they're talking about today is this used to only apply to companies who had 250 more employees. We're now lowering that number to 100. And by doing so, we will incorporate probably 40% more companies. That's how the state got to that 900,000 impacted worker number. Um, I, I 
do not doubt for a moment that if they can show some initial successes, they will try to take this program to impact everybody because it has been a stated goal uh, of the decarbonization crowd that they want people working from home permanently coming out of COVID. I just have a quick question. Is there anything in the language that you've seen so far that would um, have opt-outs for state employees or specifically um, school districts, um, state employees, CDOT, those kinds of things? Is there an opt-out for them? State and local governments are exempt, of course. That what about... It was one of my first questions is, uh, will, we be, will everybody at the uh, legislature have to stay home now? Because that's more than 100 employees. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, something I want to point out, too, is that the exemptions are not well-defined. And since the ball has moved so many times on, on so many different aspects, we expect the exemption ball will move, too. What I think people will find most troubling about the exemptions is there is a process by which if you think your company is going to have hardship, you can apply directly to the State Department of Public Health for an exemption. So it's a case-by-case evaluation. You know, I think Kelly referred to it as giving out hall passes. They get to pick who gets to drive to work and who doesn't. And I, I think anybody who has worked with the Public Health Department will know that that process is not going to be transparent and it's not going to be accountable. Well, and that goes to the uh, the part of this that says that all of these uh, organizations that have would fall under this have to um, submit a plan, and then they then the um, air quality control gets to come back and review that plan, and then raise the standards on and on. It was I did I read that correctly? Uh, I believe you're correct. They will have to develop a plan and they will have to enforce their own plan, but it will be in conjunction with the health department, much like all of the the COVID dial plans for the counties were reviewed by the health department. I, I just, you know, anybody who owns a business now knows that we get audited from so many different directions, giving one more government agency the ability to come in and say, you're doing this right or you're not doing this right is not productive for the state's economy. Yeah, and particularly when you're talking about, you know, when you're talking about something as, uh, we don't really even think of it as a, a, a basic liberty, just how you get to work. It's not, a, we just, you just kind of automatically assume that the, whatever the government does, however much they overreach, however much they try and extend their tentacles into every aspect of human life, it never really occurred to anybody that they would uh, tell us how we can and can't get to work or if, you know, we need to, uh, you know, pick up the pick up the kids on the way at school on the way home from work. So where, where you need your need your vehicle or you just want to go you know, have drinks with friends at a different part of town. So you can't you, know, you can't do that on, on the bus route or something. It's just the, the there's almost a sense of uh, uh, insult that maybe even exceeds the injury here that, you know, the state is taking this much of an interest in not not just your your professional life, not just, you know, the 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 parts of, of your life that uh, contribute to the economy and that kind of thing. But literally, you know, one of the, one of the most, uh, uh, you know, private parts of your day is, is, is the commute, you know, that the, the government is actually injecting itself into the commute. I, I, I think a lot of people just find that, uh, find that offensive in an age of where everything's offensive and it's something it actually is. Well, and it's, it's funny too, this is a, a little humor into it, but, you know, when you drive to work, that sometimes is your decompressing period. You know, right. that's when you, you, you're you not stressed out. You're listening to a podcast or your music, and it's taking that away from people. And I, I've, you know, I'm not seeing an argument against or for that or whatever. But um, 
so what can people do? And I know we have Patrick on and he's with Americans for Prosperity. So what can our members of Action 22 and all Coloradans do to voice their opinion and how they feel about this? Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, this really is an important issue. And we're talking about how hard it is to find this information. It's really important that we start telling our friends, telling our neighbors what's going on with this plan. Um, they actually have a listening session coming up on Tuesday. That's this coming Tuesday, the 20th at 10 a.m. Um, we have a link where you can actually sign up and actually make some, make some comments on that. So we really want to make sure that we're giving people the opportunity to make their voice heard. You also have the option to, uh, to comment online as well. And we want to make sure that we're getting the voice of business engaged in this conversation, this discussion, so that the rule makers can understand the impact of the rules that they're putting forth. I think it's very clear to me that it's not just businesses that are going to feel this pain, employees are going to feel it too. And one thing we need to ask ourselves, you know, coming out of a pandemic, a recession, is this something that's going to make it easier or harder for businesses and families to get back on their feet? Because what is this plan really about? And when you really look at it and you break it down, it's about discouraging you from driving. It's about pushing businesses to subsidize public transportation, electric vehicle infrastructure. If you go look at the success stories that they list, these are in places like New Jersey and California, places with temperate climates. So we're almost talking apples and oranges here. According to their plan, it depends on both carrots or enablers and also sticks or deterrents. And in this case, sticks are fines, daily fines for businesses for not, not participating with the mandates, complying with the mandates, and that's gonna have a big impact. If you look at the transportation coordinator pro, or the transportation program coordinator, that position is approximately $60,000 a year, plus 15% benefits, I'm sorry, plus 20% benefits and $15,000 of overhead. That right there alone is approximately $75,000 a year. And if you look at the implementation of some of the options that they give you, these are extremely costly. Anywhere from buying RTD passes for all of your employees to mandated ride sharing, telecommuting. And like Matthew mentioned earlier, in a lot of industries, that's simply not possible. And for one thing, they are for certain trying to expand this plan statewide. And if you look at the Western Slope, for example, parts of rural Colorado, it's people travel across multiple counties to get to and from work. Public transportation isn't the same on the Western Slope, for example, as it is here on the Front Range. So we're really, in my opinion, this is more of a short-sighted view that doesn't necessarily address the issue what we're talking about. But what it really does is it harms our economy. Um, Kelly actually wrote a great article about this. Um, I'll give him a shout out there for it. But he talks about how this is going to incentivize employers to get underneath that, that threshold. Let's say you have 103 employees at this work site. Is it more expensive to get rid of four employees to get under that threshold or to comply with all these mandates that we're talking about here? We're, we're trying to make Colorado a competitive business environment to bring new businesses in here and grow our economy. And that's going to disincentivize businesses from coming here. Um, it's going to hurt families. You talked about picking kids up from soccer practice. What about family emergencies during the day where you just can't afford to rely on the guaranteed ride home? So really, we should be focused on removing the barriers to new and more efficient energy and transportation solutions rather than creating more barriers. So if you had a magic wand um, and say this was your goal, what they're trying to do with this, I always say that incentives are better than punishment, you know, the positive reinforcement. So why, why isn't the state or CDPHE thinking about offering incentives versus punishing people for this? 
Somebody That's a great question. So, sorry. I, I just wanted to step in here for a minute. Every time TDPHE has pointed to a successful program, it's been a voluntary program. They point to Nike. They point to Children's Hospital of Washington. We can't find any other state in the country that has made this a mandatory program. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, so if, I have they a, if they don't make it mandatory, essentially the costs are, it's so costly for businesses, they, they can't afford to do it. So unless it's mandatory, they won't really have any success whatsoever with it. Yeah. yeah. Matthew, you talked for a second about attainment counties. And for those of our listeners who have no idea what that means, will you explain that a little bit and tell us really how close those, any of the counties in Colorado are to this attainment? Oh, you're, you're asking for an hour long college. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially the federal government and the EPA set levels on how dirty your air can be with volatile compounds. So they measure it in parts per billion. And if you get too high, you go into varying degrees of non-attainment because you don't comply with the federal standards. Colorado has been out of attainment for quite some time. I would say the troubling thing for us is when you talk about other places that are out of attainment, such as California or Maryland or Washington State, they all adjust their parts per billion numbers by the air that they don't create. So if it's natural or if it comes from other states and blows in, they take that out of their count. Colorado doesn't do that anymore. So we're going very quickly towards a much higher level of non-attainment, even though we're not responsible for producing that air. So if you think about, we just had the worst wildfire season in probably 20 years. When trees burn, it puts volatile organic compounds into the air. And we're now going to count all of those and say that our air is, is really far out of attainment, even more so than places that we know are the dirtiest parts of the country, like the Port of Los Angeles. So we're suffering under the Federal Clean Air Act, and they're not, even though they're producing more dirty air than we are. How close? I was on a call with uh, CDOT the other day, and they told me that there's only three counties that are actually close to that attainment. Um, They said there are only three counties that were close. You know, they control that data and it does change day by day. They have sensors all over the state, but bear in mind that we are only out of attainment in the Denver metro area. So that's about nine and a half of our 64 counties. That's why it doesn't make sense that these reduction strategies would impact everybody, even the people who are not out of attainment. Um, so, Kelly, I guess I have a, another question for you. If this rule goes through, what recourse is there? Is, uh, is, I know that there's got to be some kind of a, um, an appeal process or something like that, correct? Well, I suppose you could take the state to court uh, if you could find, uh, find what the violation is, and that might be more in, uh, in Matthew's arena. He's, he's the attorney here. Um, uh, but aside from that, not really. There's no, again, this is something that's gone through rule already, or it's going through rule, uh, under the aegis of a bill that the legislature passed two years ago to give this agency that authority. Um, you know, and you may yes before, you know, why, why the stick approach, why make it a mandate instead of the voluntary approach? And I think you're going to see a lot more of this. It's because of uh, uh, impatience, you know, dogmatism breeds impatience. And a lot of the environmental types are getting impatient with the rate of progress that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we may see it as, uh, you know, being pretty rash and radical change. They see it as being way too slow. That's why, you know, you, you've, you've had this, had this bill 1261 that has put all this in place. It has set all these, 
standards for the state to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, you know, by 25% and 40%, you know, when all, all these benchmarks. Well, now you have SB 200 that says, yeah, you got to do that. You just have to do it faster. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's because, you know, they, they, they do this sense of impatience. So I think you're going to, you know, and that's kind of what Patrick was talking about. If you have a voluntary approach, you'll get there eventually, but it may take, it may not be tomorrow. You know, these guys want this to happen tomorrow. How you make that happen tomorrow? You slap a fine onto uh, not doing it. So that's another fear I have. You know, on a kind of more macro uh, level with with all of these is that uh, as bad as they are, it could always get worse when they see that their progress isn't being uh, accelerated quite as quickly as they they would like it to be. Yeah, and you, uh, somebody brought up a good point that anybody that's owned a business knows what it's like to deal with uh, the government, you know, and regulations and uh, rules. And as a former business owner, what I thought was my experience through it is, you know, you go through the health department, you go through the state department of revenue, all this stuff, and they don't communicate with each other. So you'll have one department tell you one thing, another department tell you something else. And then all of a sudden you have a fine three years later for not paying sales tax on something that you already did, like equipment in a restaurant. You know, we got hit with that and we had to go to court to fight it because we did pay this they just didn't have the records that we paid it. We had the records that we paid it. And still, we had to pay it and then get refunded the money back. So with this, um, with anything, especially when it comes down to the state, um, they they don't really, and they're not clear about this, like a time to cure, to go back. Like, say you were in the wrong to the state. You know, they, and maybe you were, maybe you weren't. But if you don't fix it right then, you're done they can shut you down. And with this, I could see that again, the government records, they're not the greatest at keeping these on file and, you know, but they'll enforce it even if they don't need to, or aren't supposed to. And and that scares me. It's uh, again, and we're talking all these businesses and the state CDPHE isn't that large. You know, you have a office building with some people enforcing this over a huge population and that's prone to mistakes and people are going to suffer from that, even if they're doing the right thing. And just my two cents on it, more state control. You know, I think you make two excellent points there. One is the hidden cost. There's something we haven't talked about yet. If you are a large employer, even if you have a plan and you can keep that plan, you have to register as a large employer mm-hmm. and it's $5,000 a day for every day that you don't. So if you don't frequently pay attention to the regulatory world and you end up a month late, you owe $150,000 right off the bat, which is kind of insane because if yeah. you think about some of the crimes we think about, everybody knows it's a bad thing to illegally park in a handicapped spot. When you do that, you get a $350 ticket. Why is this $5,000 other than the fact that they're trying to raise the revenue to pay for the employee infrastructure that it's going to take to employ this plan? The other thing I will tell you in my background, I've been a law enforcement officer. I did about four years of it. There is nothing that scares us more than seeing non-law enforcement officers trying to fill the enforcement role. You get people out there that think they're cowboys, that assume they have more problems than they do, and that's how some of this animosity in the com- community uh, pops up. And and they're just, you know, my old boss used to say they're out kicking their coverage. They think they're going to be able to do things that they're not going to be able to do, and they're going to wait until they fail to tell you if the plan was bad to, from the outset. Yeah. Well, um, we're about to go to break now. If you guys want to stick around, we can continue this after the half hour mark. 
So when we come back from break, we're going to continue to talk to these gentlemen about some of the things that really make us nervous about legislation through rulemaking and how we can try to avoid it or encourage some of the decision makers to have stakeholders and the people that that it would attack uh, weigh in a little bit more right after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. We are sitting here with Matthew um, Groves and Kelly Sloan. Uh, Patrick had to jump off, but we are discussing legislation through rulemaking. And in particular, we are picking on this uh, rule that CDPHE and more specifically the Air Quality Control Commission with CDPHE is trying to push through that would... um, The intent, according to them, is to reduce um, emissions, 
keep below attainment, uh, but it is a very punitive program that would charge businesses to send their folks to work. So that's what we're discussing right now, um, both the impacts of that and um, what's going on. Uh, so either of you, have you guys run any numbers if this rule goes through in its current form, um, what it would actually cost businesses uh, on a daily basis if they had 100 employees? Well, we Math, go ahead. Sorry, we haven't, and I'll tell you why we haven't, is, is because of the ambiguity of the rule. What we have right now is a draft, and they're not going to put out a final rule till after all the comments are due, but... You know, they give you in Section 5 of the regulation all these ways you could potentially comply. It is definitely more of an art than a science, and it's just a wish list of things they'd like you to do. They could range from having an employee-owned bus that drives people from one common area to the office and back, all the way to setting up a daycare inside of your, your facility so that people don't have to worry about going to get their kids after. The costs are just so incredibly variable that it's hard to knock down uh, how are we going to comply and what is that going to cost us? And that's essentially what I was going to say too. And we, again, you know, he, Matthew touched earlier on, you know, potential exemptions that are going to be written in there. I mean, are they, you know, uh, are, are, are they going to exempt certain large businesses? Obviously they have already exempted state and local government. There's been talk, at least in the uh, early drafts of exempting hospitals. And then they kind of rolled back that a little bit because I think they realized that, uh, you know, they could go after some of the hospitals and then it's going to be, you know, which hospitals are exempt, uh, which types of businesses are exempt. You know, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, we overuse the term, but for a good reason, you know, picking winners and losers. There's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, you know, the state, you know, de determining, you know, who they, who they really want to pick on and who they don't. So uh, that's going to play into how much it's going to cost the businesses. Um, but then again, there's also the, the cost, not just to the business to try and implement all these things, uh, but you know the, the cost to like we talked a little bit before to, to the individual. Uh, they do have you know Matthew mentioned uh, the the hall pass uh, provision to it that you know there's they have hardship exemptions that you can apply for on a case by case basis. Um, now whether that's going to you know for a particular business that is not anywhere close to a rail line, uh, you know maybe out in a rural area that kind of thing. Uh, I think they're also looking at it for individuals so that, you know, if you can't bring your car into work that day because your car will put you one over the quota they have for that month, uh, but you have to visit your sick mother in the nursing home on the way on the way home or deliver her some groceries or something, you could uh, you could apply for hardship exemption. So now you're basically asking the state for permission to drive to work and go visit your sick grandmother after uh, on the way home. I mean, it's just it's. Uh, the more you think about this and the more permutations you run in your mind of how this, uh, how this may work and what this may look like, the more ludicrous it seems. Yeah. And again, it's, <laughs> as you said, like who would have thought they would have come after going to work, you know, that that's. Like <laughs> Especially coming out of a pandemic. <laughs> right. For sure. So this is the thing that I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around because with the state legislative process, Somebody introduces a bill, everybody takes a look at it, they get stakeholder input or they don't, but they get, there's at least an opportunity to say, this is how this would impact us and this is what we'd like you to change about the bill or, you know, this is, this is something you haven't considered. Um, and there's a whole 
process that really genuinely um, attempts to represent what Coloradans are thinking. On this, it sounds like there's none of that, except they have some listening sessions. But Matthew, did I just hear you say that there, we won't actually know what the rule is until it's a rule? Not until it's a rule, but until after the public comments are due in May. Um, and that's going to be one of the difficult things for us. You mentioned the stakeholder meetings in the legislature, and that's absolutely true. Uh, with these listening sessions, what we tend to see are the advocacy groups will put 20 new faces in there every week, all with a pretty standard set of talking points. So you're hearing the same reinforcing message again and again and again. Um, you know, in, in the 20s, Oliver Wendell Holmes always said sunlight is the best antiseptic. We're not really advertising these outside of the sphere of the advocacy community, right? So if you're not on CDPAG's list as an interested person, they're not going to tell you, hey, we have this listening session. Come find out what we're thinking. So I always tell people, you, you know, we are obviously encouraging people to go and make their voices heard. We're not telling them what to say because we don't think it's necessary. I use my wife as a good gauge of where things are politically because she has zero interest in government or anything that I do. <laughs> but I was at home at an evening listening session. This is the other thing. The listening sessions are generally six to eight at night. Uh, and she was hearing this listening session say, what in the world are you guys talking about? And just such a, a, a gut-based instinct from someone who does not care about government, I think is just the norm. When you talk to more and more people who don't do this on a daily basis, uh, who just want to live their lives without the government coming in and saying, I'm changing things. Uh, they're pretty unanimous in their distaste for this type of interruption in their lives. With that in mind. Um, we'll provide the link um, for the, the listening sessions, right. public comment. We'll put that out in an email, make sure all of our membership gets it. And uh, we'll put it on the YouTube and the radio show link as well. Um, I know I've taken more of your time than we, we asked for. Is there anything either of you would like to say in closing on this? Well, I think I'll just, you know, just kind of to reinforce, you know, kind of what, what, we, what we started with, you know, that this, uh, you know, this, it, it, this is a result of uh, impatience on the part of the activists and the, and the government. You know, you ask why, you know, why this isn't going through that uh, much more transparent legislative system that has all the hearings and all the public uh, public input and is out there for everybody to see the press can report on it you can read about it well the reason is because if they if they did this in the state legislature uh you've heard already just from the few people who've heard about this uh how outraged you know that they are you can just imagine the the blowback they would get and it would either have to be amended down to you know, becoming a study or something or they have to deal deal away with it all altogether or face the wrath of the voters in uh, you know a couple of years hence or even a year from now. Uh, that's not the case with the uh, AQCCC or the CDPHE or RAC or Division of Insurance or whoever it is, whatever we're talking about. And not to muddy the waters, but you know we're, we're looking at the same thing with the public option bill that's uh, that's going to be coming up. It's another bill that's giving whatever it ends up looking like. It's uh, it's going through lots of rewrites, but. Essentially, that's another one that's giving all kinds of authority to the Division of Insurance, uh, legislative, legislating authority. But that's why they do this, because they, they know they won't be able to get this done through the, you know, the more Burkean, uh, you know, restrained, you know, le deliberative process that's op more open to the public and has those democratic restraints on it. Uh, 
So if, if, if you want something done fast, you don't do it through democratic means. You do it through rulemaking. And they want things done fast. Well, I just wanted to say thank you, guys. It's it's great to talk to you. And, you know, Kelly and I aren't legislators or regulators. We're, we're just two guys trying to make sure people pay attention to the government, because if they don't, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And every rule that we let slip by uh, empowers the people who are making the rules. Well, thank you both for coming on. We really appreciate it. And again, I stumbled across this on Facebook. And that's what brought it to our attention. And we are not fans of legislating through rulemaking. I never have been. I don't think our members are either. You know, we're seeing the ag community just dealing with the actually legislation that's coming out. It's scaring a lot of people. And this is just another, you know, brick in the wall of why they're afraid right now. Um, again, we appreciate it. And we'll get your the information for all public comment on the YouTube video, on our email. And... Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you both so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. So. And feel free to log off, guys, or you could stay on. doesn't matter. It's whatever you guys want to do. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, guys. So it's funny when um, Kelly said that, before he said that, I I had made the scribble, the note that impatience um, gives way (laughs) to the democratic process. And that's definitely here. And I think he was generous when he said that um, it was ludicrous. I think more than that, it's very, very disturbing. Just uh, to pick your brain, why is this, what's the need for the impatience? Because we're seeing this on on several fronts and it's not just this rulemaking, but it's on the legislation that's being introduced. Um, It it makes me a little crazy. Um, It's like a little kid with who's being impatient about stuff. So, it goes back to this. Everybody complains that Senate and the Congress aren't doing their job. They're not getting anything done. The founding fathers of this country set up our democratic system to make it not impossible, but really tough to pass new laws. Um, obviously, the you know amendments have come out from all of the amendments right now, and that was changing. You know, that's amending the Constitution, but but lawmaking in Congress and the Senate, and this talking federally, the reason why they're not doing a lot is because it's set up for them not to do a lot because they don't want people to come in and change everything immediately because opinions changes, the the world changes, everything changes, and as Americans, I think we we tend to make like rash. I call them fast food decisions. We want this to happen now. That's not how our government works, at least on the federal side. The state side, it's a little different, but still, you know, you still have to work across the aisles. You still have to work with people, even in a time where we have um, a majority on both sides of the same party and the administration. You know, it's tough. And our legislators are listening to the people. They have to face them. As I've said before, you run into your, your state legislator in King Supers. You run into them at a restaurant. Um, and, and they're interacting with you. So even on the state level, we'll see laws change quicker than the federal level, but it's still a process. And then with, with everything, you get um, special interest groups, um, environmentalist groups, you get even on the other side, ag groups, you know, like pro oil and gas, anti oil and gas, anything like that. And again, going back to our way of thinking of now, 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 it's not moving fast enough. Um, whether you like it or not, Colorado is transitioning its energy infrastructure, what we, where we get our power. You know, that's old news. We're going through that. And we have marks, benchmarks set up 
that everybody's abiding to. And, you know, some of them are forced into it. Some of them are doing it on their own, but they're making strides to get to this benchmark that the state legislature set up years ago. They're doing great. But what are we seeing now? We're seeing rules like this, like it's not fast enough. You know, that power plant needs to close down in 2070. Now it's 2040. Now they want to close down in 2030, which is an issue we've talked about a lot. Same thing with this. We don't want people to drive to work. Oh, COVID showed us that you don't have to go to work. You don't have to drive to work. So we want this now. We want it to stay like this. Um, One of the, the positive impacts of COVID, if you could say such a thing, was that you had areas in California, even Hawaii, um, where tourism went way down. And you saw this environmental recovery that had never been seen before after just six months of nobody going out, um, right. tourism dropping. And that's fine. You know, like I said, that's, that's positive that that happened and it shows it can happen. Um, but I think there's some groups that like that and they want to keep it that way. They saw what it can do. And then again, going back to like, oh, you don't have to go to work. Well, not all people have to go work in an office. And we're seeing that, you know, um, even with us working from home, we have laptops, we have internet, right. <coughs> excuse me. And uh, we did it for the past year. Why don't we do it permanently now? Can't wait for the legislator to make this happen. Let's just do it by rules. I think my mo- the most... Um the most disturbing thing about the rulemaking by legislature is it really undermines the entire democratic process in my, and you just talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's not democratic. It's not democratic. There's all. no representation, but beyond that, there's also no recourse. There's no checks and balances. Yeah. So not only is there no input, but there's no checks and balances. Once they, you know, go through these listening sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, Targeted listening sessions. That's yes. important very targeted listening sessions, um, then they'll come back and it's just, it's, it starts to set a precedent, like what Matthew was saying. It starts to set a precedent for, okay, so this is how we get this. And, and I hate to say anybody's being sneaky about it because I think in their heart, they're, they think they're doing the right thing. But when you want to do something without getting any input, we don't do anything. We don't make a decision for the organization, we don't go after anything until we do our research, we reach out to our board, yes. we get the input from everybody before we do anything. And if you've been on a call with me asking me, asking Action 22 to pay, take a position, you'll know I we've got to look into this. That's yep. the first thing we said. But um, targeted listening sessions don't fulfill that obligation. No, not at all. I mean, it would be like... Um... You know, and there's certain things that Action 22 has supported that I don't agree with and didn't support that I, you know, that I do agree with. And same with you, but we have to get the input of our board. But like this would be like, okay, so there's this uh, rule that's going to change. We're going to change something with Action 22. Um, We're going to have a listening session with our members, but we're only going to target the members in Fremont County. Yeah. Or we're only going to target this part of the board yeah, we're only to make this ask, decision. You yeah, know? we're only going to ask Fremont County what they think. And, and that's what it. this is. And, and then the good point, too, that was brought up is you have, um, you know, the groups that are pushing for this, of course, they're going to have people engaging on this. And they're on the, the mailing list and the contact list of CDPH or any, you know, organization that would do something like this. They're going to be like, we put it out there. We had a listening session. Look, we had... 20 people that were for this all coming from this group. That's what they don't tell you. And then only three people opposed to it that got through. And 
that's why I think it's important for this issue in particular to get everybody to, you know, comment. And, and maybe people do want this. Maybe there are businesses that agree with this and that's fine. Just send in your comment and let them know um, how you feel about this, what you think of this. And, and hopefully, hopefully something will come of it. As we said earlier, when this first came out, it looked uh, completely different right, um, on their webpage than it does now if you go to it, which means they did listen. So they are listening. People are contacting them. And yeah, I think it'd be great if we could have somebody from CDPHE come on and talk about it. But well, and if they, if they're willing, you know, a couple of years ago, we, we did, we worked all summer long um, to talk a little bit about, give some recommendations to CDPHE Mm -hmm. in the summer of 18 to give some of those recommendations about asbestos abatement. Yeah. Um, and they were prepared for those recommendations that we wanted to see money, money, money. And that wasn't even on the list of recommendations. It was things like um, there needs to be somebody, there needs to be one point of contact on asbestos. Because yeah. if you called up there, um, they, you know, one person would tell you one thing on a variance compared to other. And that's what you, that was a micro um that was just just a micro snapshot of how the whole rest of the rulemaking goes. And so when you have the other the other thing that really bothers me is this. Um, we had to hunt to find that and we yeah. to find this rule and to look at it. We had to hunt down for it. So what if they pass this rule and. Um, is the stuff and, and businesses have no idea. Well, that, that was kind of what I was trying to hint at when I was talking, but I could have put my words together. Right. But, you know, sometimes these rules change and people aren't even aware of it. And then the next thing you know, you got a $150,000 fine for your factory that you own outside of Denver and you're not a major business, you know, a hundred employees is not a big business. Um, and, And also to be fair, you know, Again, I don't think this is coming for a, from a place of bad intention. I, I think right. everybody wants to do the right thing. And to give CDPHE credit, they do do a good job on a lot of the stuff. They do have a purpose. Um, they have, you know, helped out, especially rural Colorado, um, you know, everything from the chemical depot to some of these EPA sites that they're involved with, with the federal government. Like they, they do a good job when they're tasked with these things. But I, I just don't understand how CDPHE is regulating something that the Department of Transportation should maybe be in charge of or a different agency. And I get it that it's a a public health crisis as they define it. But again, it's kind of out of their area of expertise. It is out of their area of expertise. And I want, I I would be curious. So the, the whole idea is to keep emissions low, right? That's the whole yeah. purpose of it. And then they've changed it. So if they're going to try to drive down emissions for this number of businesses in these two or three counties or whatever, how is that really um, accomplishing their objective? How much of a difference is that going to make in reducing emissions? And then when you compare that to how much of a, of a negative impact is that going to have on businesses, especially as we try to come out of a pandemic, we're trying to recover um, both our health and our environment and our economy all at the same time. You can't, you can't place 
one so far ahead of the other and expect the outcome to be productive. Exactly. And again, go to the negative reinforcement thing. Like oh, yeah. there's a better way to do this. It's to offer incentives. In my opinion, it is. And, and that it could be done that way. You it know? could be done. It could be you done. You could incentivize these programs and say like, look, this, we're trying to make this happen. This is how you can help. And I bet you anything, the majority of companies or businesses would jump on board. Like, you know what? You're right. We see where you're coming from. We Let's can do this. Do this. If can you can help us, us but then we will do but this. But again, that takes a while and it's something they want now. And it's that whole impatience thing. Um, so we've been a really busy and we just have a couple minutes left, but um, there's a couple things that I want to make our listeners aware of. We are going to be on the 23rd. Um, we're going to be doing a convening on the transportation funding proposal that the governor has put out. I had a lot of questions. I had a really productive conversation with CDOT um, and we're going to turn around and really share those questions. I think everybody has a lot on that and um, how those funds would be accessed and so forth. And there's some really good stuff there. So we'll be sending out in our email blasts um, that sort of thing. We also have um, gained a few new members this last few was last week or two. Um, I feel like it's been a while since we've been in, you know, we've been talking about that kind of thing, but um, there's, there's really a whole lot that we're seeing um, as we, every member that we gain, the more strength we gain, the stronger yep. our voices. Yep. And, and we've seen that a lot. And if you want to join and I'm encouraging everybody and if you've listened to this and you're see where we're coming from, please join. You can email us just at show at action22.org, S-H-O-W, like the show, mm-hmm. um, at action22.org. Um, you know, feel free, even if you have ideas about the show that you want us to discuss, any guests you want us to have on. Um, if CDPHE is listening, we'd love to hear from you on this. So email email <laughs> us, please. Um, and I, I think next week we'll take a break from the serious, scary stuff and get into the, the fun, scary stuff and just do a... <laughs> A little story hour. So join us. Oh, hey, by the way, Chad Borthman, I know you're listening. Um, it's getting awfully green around the state. Um, it's time to make hay while the sun shines. So we'll talk a little bit about that more. Um, join us next week when I ask more overly complicated questions. And Brian McCain is going to talk about alien objection. We yep. will see you all next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.